welcome back to another episode of The Geek Whispers. I'm Matt Brender. And I'm Amy Lewis. And I'm John Mark Troyer. And we're coming out strong this week asking whether or not you should quit social media and uh, answering the question of whether your career depends on it or not. Amy uh, Lewis brought us a topic this week where um, we want to dig into a, a recent article that talks about whether or not social media is actually a career killer or a career maker. So, Amy, why don't you start us off? What is this article you were talking about? So, uh, I don't know anybody else out there who works uh, in anything pertaining to social media, but you've probably had this hit your timelines. It is an article in the New York Times by one Cal Newport called Quit Social Media, Your Career May Depend on It. And I feel like I need kind of old-timey music where it goes, bum, bum, bum. You know, <laughs> we'll add that in post. Oh, oh good. <laughs> and uh, he is a professor, um, a computer scientist, and he talks about the dangers of social media. He is not a participant himself. And he kind of rattles off a number of statistics where he's like, nope, these are here's some facts as I see them. And here's why social media is not only not net neutral, it actually causes net harm. And Amy, his, his main arguments are, are kind of around uh, attention span and, and uh, that sort of kind of Pavlovian knee-jerky, uh, just going around uh, getting quick hits of dopamine, right? That, is that a lot of the argument? I mean, that's, I think that's a lot of it. Um, that with a dose of if you're good enough... You don't need this. Um, yeah, it was a lot of presumptuous. Success will find you. A little bit presumptuous, I thought. It was like, oh, people will just come to you. Yeah, I found that a little bit of uh, what I, you know, way back when I had proposed a, a bloat score. Um, I feel like Cal's bloat <laughs> score would be really high because it's a little bit of, do you know who I am? Well, and, I, uh, I really, I dig, you know, it, it's all about both the the words and the graphics when it's something published in the New York Times. And I'm really drawn into the image of somebody walking forward with social media blinders on each side <laughs> of their eyes, just looking forward towards something. And I I want us to take a step back and think about it piece by piece. And we, we already started down the negative side because I, I think rightfully so we have things as as three people influenced heavily by the use of social media in our careers and advocating for it in many forms, um, of course, we're going to be uh, on the side of thinking, well, that's oversimplified. So why don't we we scratch that itch and dig into that? And and you know what? I think you've got a great point, because if I were to start out, he, um, Cal, is making a very broad sweeping statement about social media and what it is. Um. And I completely get that people may have a very negative taste in their mouth from either, you know, uh, world events, recent world events where you've seen some some wild and woolly use of social or the Kardashian problem. I'm going to blame that that poor family. Um, the, I feel like people think that's all that social is. Yeah. yeah. And in, in fact, social media or somebody invented the term recently dumpster fire, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of is self-explanatory. Yeah. Whereas I do often feel like our our quaint little community of technologists and tech enthusiasts, we use the platforms that are afforded us. Like any, many of us use a whole variety of the platforms to connect, to share, to think, to talk. 
And, and sometimes it's almost as if the real world um, slams into us. It, it, it can be helpful because world news, breaking events, we like to stay informed. But some of the other things that go on, and I do hear about them and, and read them and go research them as well, but they seem to happen in other neighborhoods, for lack of a better word. I hear you. So counter-argument one to, to this article is that we are not the social media that he is pointing to and saying is is harmful to you. It's that uh, if I'm if I'm catching this correctly, that we actually facilitate a community of people that add more value than they take away from each other. Is that fair to say? I think it's why I retitled myself and my entire department. We don't call ourselves social media. We will use those words when we need to shortcut. But influence marketing was part of saying I'm not a millennial who tweets for a living. Do um, I actually want to stay on how bad social media is for a little bit. Um, <laughs> because You're not done with the dumpster fire No, aspect, it is terrible. Twitter is terrible. You can't have a conversation. Uh, the harassment problem is egregious. Um, and all the, the, the bots and the, all the political stuff happened on, on partially on Twitter. And uh, Facebook's also terrible. We got the fake news problem that people are talking about. It, it's uh, we we definitely have filter bubble sort of issues, uh, and and it, and it actually I read a great article which I'll try to find for the show notes was basically it was from a cognitive psychologist I think, who oh, he he was a designer of educational systems and he's basically like, Facebook is training you is it's a training mechanism it's like we train pigeons and it's training you to become an extremist because it rewards behavior. Like you, you, you scan these things and then you, it, it, uh, it had, gives you some buttons. It's like, like, or share. It doesn't say read. It just says you're supposed to like it or share it. And so you're scanning headlines all the time with this, this, this kind of, uh, trying to cone your instinctual response to either approve it and share it or disapprove it and, and keep on going. So he's like, as a, as a creator of training mechanisms, this is a training mechanism that we have just created and that we've all hooked ourselves on. So Ooh, that's kind of intriguing. But that one, although it does, smoke it. well, uh, I hate to even know what my mimes and jeggings and other random. Uh, I, I cause Facebook problems, so I'm sure it's training me to do something. <laughs> but I don't think it's to like mimes or to buy jeggings. Um, you have ads for mimes and jeggings, or are you creating memes about mimes and jeggings? Now I've gotten ads around those things. Those are the. <laughs> it's. Well, and you know, though, for the longest time, because I love food so much, that they simultaneously advertise weight loss programs and moo-moos. <laughs> targeted. It's the little things that makes us appreciate targeted advertisements. <laughs> what? The, okay, so I got one more. I got one go more before right. we move on. The other crappy thing about social media is you don't own it. We're all sharecroppers. So uh, everybody has noticed this phenomenon that when you get online – uh, you, if you were a blogger, your blogging drops and your writing drops, and I think that's part of what uh, old Cal is getting at here. But um, you know, the the think of all those funny things that could have been written in a book or a blog or a journal or or someplace that you would own and uh, that you control and that would be preserved in the history of time, versus uh, a tweet, which uh, are disposable and disappear. And in fact, there's a whole movement called the indie web where they're trying to kind of, I mean, this is kind of old man blogger stuff. They're kind of trying to bring back this whole idea of, well, maybe if we redistribute everything uh, away from centralized platforms like Twitter and Facebook, things will uh, will have more control and we'll have more control of our own words and we'll be smarter. And, you know, it's kind of a geek uh, fantasy sort of thing. 
I want to talk about the article, but I also want to say, like, wait, is the argument that it'd be better to have your own things owned and not read by anyone than to be <laughs> read by people <laughs> and no. have it owned by somebody else? Because that's what I heard, and I think it's absurd. Basically, I, yeah, yeah. I think that is well. It, let's dumpster fire. Please meet Ivory Tower. <laughs> I think you two will get along famously. Yeah. Okay. So we so far to to tally up the points here, one point for our community and social media as a whole because it brings us together and it adds more value than it takes away. The negative is that social media in general is a flaming pile of dumpsters on a good day and probably a tire fire with uh <laughs> with leftover garbage bags filled with burgers on on a bad day. Um. So we got a one one. Um, do we want to go positive or negative next? Well, I, I would I think it's interesting that you point out and Matt, you kind of got to the point before I did of um, I do get the point of uh, we don't want to dismiss long form copy or things that we create ourselves. Um, I, I will firmly come down on the side against people being famous for the sake of being famous. And I think that's absolutely where social can get uh, a black eye. And I would never counsel anyone career-wise to give up the tangible doing of things to spend all their time on becoming famous for doing nothing. I might be being naive here, Amy, but but what does that really mean? Like, how what does it mean that somebody is famous for being famous? I, again, I would call it the Kardashian complex. So if you haven't produced something then and you are simply famous for showing up a lot in feeds or being really present um i look at them as they're known they're around in the industry they're sort of influencers for hire and you're not quite sure what they stand for or what they've done they don't necessarily have a body of work upon which they have created a platform They've sort of created a platform on the platform. I know that's very meta. Well, that no, no. And they're usually kind of social media experts. So yes, they are kind of meta. It's all the whole thing. That particular cohort of people you're talking about is pretty meta, Amy. Yeah. Versus say you are a longtime blogger or maybe you're a book author or maybe you make movies or maybe you make poetry or sculpture or whatever it is you do. In our industry, it's usually some sort of documented longer form content. So you're often a blogger, you're a podcaster, um, you do a lot of lab work and you document it with complex graph, you know, charts and graphs. You have a tangible body of work that can be pointed to and you use the platform to discuss the work and to elevate the work. That okay, to me, so... That to me oh. is... You know, that's a the right relationship between social platforms and and fame, if you will. Okay, okay. so we're we're touching on the idea of um, if if the reason you're on social is you get more famous on social, then we're gonna be more on the side of Cal here saying that that's part of the 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 fire uh, and less good than than if you are adding value which feels a little obvious when said that directly, but I, I think there's something there that we need to, to well, point at. That yeah. Because years have passed, and we've talked about this before, people still ask me, how can I become more influential? And I say, I can help you with that, but will you do the work? Because the work comes far before the influence. 
and and this is a great and ongoing debate I have with a colleague of mine. Um, I think particularly the challenge in the C-suite is, uh, and and you guys correct me if you think differently, but oftentimes with executives who are not familiar, it's not that they haven't done the work. They're executives. One has to assume they've done some work to get there. But they don't necessarily have a body of work or a standing in a social setting. So I think there can be a concept that they write one article, one tweet, and literally the world should stop. And that's that's the focus everyone should should have, is that one article, that one tweet, that one thing, simply because they're an executive. And that there's enough of a meritocracy in social that that's not true. So even if you've made it at some level, you still have to do the work. Yeah, yeah. I, I also, there's another kind of person that I see that's not the famous person, but that is kind of the participation medal person or the the, mm. the, the kind of Kardashian in their own mind. Um, <laughs> I love, we've got to get, we need a chart. We need a, an infographic <laughs> stat. The Kardashian in their own mind. Well, yes. John, please unpack this nuanced new form of communication. <laughs> well, there's people who, uh, so, so I would get V-expert applications, right? About and people who are trying to join the V expert program, or or you get resumes, and this maybe it's it's a generational thing too. Like if you don't have as much experience, you try to pad out your resume. And I would get people who were describing how why they should become in this V expert, which is you know a program for people who are active on social and who have some sort of knowledge in in this case of VMware and and wanted to participate in this kind of networking and, and award program. So um, I get people who would say, yeah, I uh, am active on Twitter. That's one of my qualifications. Uh, and I uh, have attended many uh, user groups. Not, not, and that was it, right? So not, I ran many user groups. I organized many user groups. I spoke at user groups. I, uh, you know, I, nothing like that. It's just, I showed up. It's like, I go to I'm conferences. a people person, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> it's like, I showed up. And it's like, and I know a lot of people, lovely people, uh, on Twitter, but they're mostly they, they haven't used it uh, to to talk about a body of work, and they they're just on Twitter, and that's great. But it's not like a special accomplishment. It's like saying I'm really king of the coffee shop, you know, I run hmm. this place, which is great, and and it, it certainly is not unuseful. And I love you know, and I'm, I'm we get, that's a whole separate conversation about you know our current Western society and you know the death of death of the third place and coffee shops, and there's a value to that. But it's not like it's a professional. You didn't you haven't done the work. I'm with you. Yeah, it's. I think we're all on the same page that um, social media can give you this this sense that just by tweeting or just by you know making an account, you somehow have done the deed. You have uh, been part of something and and contributed to something. When really, the people that show up and continue to show up and have made amazing contributions, they they've done a lot of work outside of that social presence. It, it kind of also touches on our discussion of evangelism. And, uh, and I've had, I can't tell you offline, right? I've had many discussions with many vendors about evangelists' roles and how they have to be aligned to the business. And I think you guys actually both very early in this podcast came up with the idea of, uh, I don't know, Amy had a way of doing it, like about something about producing content. If, if the evangelist isn't connected back to the business and doing the work, then, then the evangelist doesn't really have a job. And so the, the job of the evangelist is not to stand up and, and give speeches, the, the job of the evangelist is actually to connect the inside and the outside world. And that's either kind of being a sales overlay and being, you know, visiting with customers, lots of customers, or it is producing content, 
you know, producing and often for a technical evangelist, right? It's technical decks and white papers and things like that. It's technical content for for your company's workers or for for uh, you know your customers or whatever things like that. Or sure. So producing content. And how does that connect? Oh well, it's about doing the work, right? So it's about there are also these people who who think that they are doing the job when when in fact their real job should be doing the work. And I know Amy, you were once saying as a as a I remember early on as a marketer, you realized that wait a minute, your job was not to show up at an event and and just you schmooze with people. Your job was to 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 create content platforms. No, you know, so I laugh and joke about influence marketing as social media with gravitas, but in some ways it's social media with some tangible metrics. Um, and you're absolutely right. I don't think anybody. (laughs) 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 Kumbaya. Um, I genuinely think you have to be able to count. You have to point to a place you were and, and count. So if you're a presenter, then that's something check a box that counts. How many people did you engage? Um, if you, how did you document that you were there? Did you add or change your slide deck? Did being there change something? Did it either change the minds you saw or change your mind and leave you more able to communicate the message? Did you write a blog, um, take pictures that you save in an album and share out in another way, shoot a video, uh, create a podcast? What What's the content output? And I think that's that becomes very measurable, tangible stuff and not a matter of, you know, and fingers pointing back at me, if all I do is go to an event and, and consume your bacon and drink your beer, then I'm not doing my job. That could be anybody that showed up and did that. I need to, again, Cal and I are going to be traditional here, roll up the sleeves and, and do the work. And Cal and I may disagree about what that work looks like, but you have to, do something. It has to align with your business. And, and if it's not the right something, you better figure out what the right something is. And Amy, you, you hit on something that I absolutely want to pick up on, which was you had to think about going to events differently. And I recently uh, got advice that, um, I could frame the way I go to events totally differently. Uh, in the last year, it's been very focused on how many presentations have I given, uh, but now that I'm part of a project that's maturing, it could actually be more about customer conversations about changing their infrastructure. And by just shifting that focus a little bit, I can actually do an equation that shows like going to a conference is actually more cost effective than going to like, you know, 10 customer onsites over the next six months uh, because I can have all of those at one time. So that framing effect of it is really powerful. Uh, and that's a, a tangible thing anyone here can take away. That's also something I want to disagree with with Cal about here in, in this article is that if it wasn't for social media and seeing other people doing work like me, I would be so focused on my own worldview that I wouldn't even see these other angles of my work. So I think of social media as, as a real positive outlet that allows me to compare and contrast my work with others, particularly particularly in evolving work like developer advocacy, where the rules are changing and you need to look at how other people are doing it and how they're adding value to the business. Mm. So that that's one big thumbs down for this article that if I didn't have all these peers at different organizations and with similar t- titles easily connected to through social media, I'd be pretty screwed. 
Yeah, it's the it's the counter blinder problem. If we're talking about an ivory tower and the concept of people thinking deep thoughts by themselves, so they come up with something original. And Cal has a point about you know being able to focus your attention for a long while. I, I would argue on the flip side, a lot of what we do, to your point, Matt, if it's done in isolation, because you very well may be the only person with your particular skill set um, as a customer within your organization. You know, we're more and more spread out. Data centers, the places of technology are no longer all in a bullpen together. And if you don't have the luxury of working at a company at size that you have another person who specializes like you do, or you're simply a remote employee, these tools have been crucial for me and my own job to to connect with like-minded people because there are only so many people in the world that do what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually the biggest takeaway or refutation of the article is simply uh, empirical, right? We've seen it in action and we've seen what social media writ broadly can do, right? I've been in this industry for for 10 years and uh, I've been in online communication for, for, you know, 30 years maybe. Um, And so... So you're a millennial. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, (laughs) It is astounding the number of stories going back to Usenet days where people get connected and then things happen. Uh, with new jobs, new careers, new projects, new games, new whatevers, right? Um, and and especially uh, in my tenure at VMware over these last 10 years and, and the, 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 the IT technologist-focused person, right? Over and over again, I see the same story. Somebody gets connected on social media. And that doesn't necessarily mean Twitter, right? It could be blogging. It could be user groups. It could be somewhere in this community, right? Often mediated online and social. And and things start to happen. Very quickly, their online presence becomes kind of a, a, a this 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 uh, simulacrum of their work and this, this advertisement for what they are and a much better resume instead of a resume. And then, you know, before two blinks, they have a, a promotion. And then three blinks, they have a new job. And then they're, they're partnering with somebody on some new gig. And all of a sudden, they're the CTO of something. Like, and, uh, you know, I've watched it happen over and over again, so much so that, like, I, I, I look, I read the article, and he's like, get off social media. And I'm like, that, you know, yes, Mr. Dartmouth, MIT, you know, Georgetown, which is Cal, you know, this, this professor, uh, but like for regular people, I, I've just seen so profound transformations of people's lives and their careers. And I've seen friendships made and jobs change. And I just, I've seen it over and over again. And so, I, you know, my, the, the mic drop moment for me, it's just like my empirical evidence is that this is just the, 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 his conclusion is not true. Well, it, and this concept, I let me pull the the line out specifically. I do hope people go and read the article because I would love to have a an ongoing debate about this. So the line in the article I really want to call people's attention to is it says in a capitalist economy, the market rewards things that are rare and valuable. Social media use is decidedly not rare or valuable. And I I don't those two lines made me got my got my ire like a few things do because I to state just boldly and claim to be true, what I don't necessarily see as a thousand percent true. Um, the capitalist economy doesn't always only reward things that are rare and valuable. And the idea from someone who hasn't used social media to say it is not rare or valuable is I, to me ludicrous. And John, to reinforce your point, I can think of three or four stories 
immediately where people, it's not that they had to become famous and get elected to an office or, uh, you know, have their name in lights. They simply needed to differentiate themselves from 20 people who were also TMEs, for instance, and in our industry, very common technical marketing engineer, very common role. Um, They're going for a job and they needed to be different. And their participation was the difference. It allowed them to either build community or highlight work that they'd done. So it wasn't a matter of them not doing the work. It was the work and. Mm. And that yes. made them unique. I'm shaking my fist in the air, Amy, because you, <laughs> the phrase you used is they needed to differentiate themselves, which at, by saying that you're in fact contradicting the point that is assumed in the article, which is that social media is not a differentiator because it's so common now. So it requires context to know whether it's a differentiator or not. As a technical marketing engineer or somebody in evangelism or advocacy, it is a differentiator. Or it's it would be a negative differentiator if you weren't participating and you weren't showing up. And then there's also the the angle of, of it that like not all social media is used equally. Um, there we're talking about people and we're talking about uh, things that have a cadence. So like, does somebody show up and participate over and over and over again? I think the dedication to a community and showing up for that community is quite rare and will continue to be valued. Yeah, I have to agree. Good. Uh, we're all in agreement. Uh, well, <laughs> well okay, and I so, feel like this is, well, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was going to flip the tape. So it feels like the right time to ask to leave on some practical notes and uh, to ask wait, wait, the favorite no, no, no. question. One more thing, though. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yep. And, and to just flip this on us for a second and be on Cal's side again, his last sentence in this is just dead on something we would all agree with, that if you're serious about making an impact in the world, power down your smartphone, close your browser tabs, roll up your sleeves, and get to work. And this article, as well as his books on deep work and be so good, you, they can't ignore you. These kind of clickbaity books um, are are focused on the fact that if you do just kind of have that social butterfly element throughout social media and and flutter around to all these different conversations, you will not get anything done that's f- sufficiently valuable and skillful. Uh, at times. And that's a real worry that I have to give them credit for pointing out that um, you do have to just stop sometimes, stop inputting all this information and just allow yourself the space to create. Absolutely. I I, got to say in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, I have not been as productive as I had been because I keep refreshing my uh, social feeds uh, precisely in the way he describes to see what new horrors have unfolded um, from the deeps. Yeah, and, and it can be a distraction. And I, I just read something recently, which was so obvious and mind-blowing at the same time, is that headline news isn't meant to teach you anything. It's meant to, it's like popcorn or Pringles. It's the Pringles problem. Um, it One makes you want another one, and they're end-to-end laid out. My vision is like me as Homer Simpson with a can of Pringles just one in front of the other, in front of the other. Um, mm, Pringles. <laughs> and, and I think that's to all of us to use this as a discipline to think of most social media is a way to meet people, a way to scrape the top of content, but it's upon us to, number one, create stuff ourselves, and number two, 
do the legwork to dive deeper. So if we see something that is relevant to our interest, our research, our jobs, it, you know, and you're on your paid hours, then use that as an opportunity to dive deeper and to learn more. And, it, you know, if it's a hobby, same thing. I mean, when the tools are used well, they should be the modern card catalog, but with human, a thousand curators. So that's when it's done well, when it's, when it feeds the addiction. And I've been there too, a million refreshes looking for that next hit of adrenaline. And that you realize pretty quickly, hopefully most of us do that that's getting you nowhere. And so turn it off, read a book, do a crossword puzzle, feed your brain another way. Or, yeah, or maybe practice focusing. And sometimes like that will lead to some boredom. Boredom's okay too. It's another thing we're kind of uncomfortable with culturally. Um, but there, there's room for doing great things if you can choose to focus on them. Uh, so I got to give it to them. That, that's one thing that I, I struggle with every day is the balance between consuming vast quantities of interesting information and participating in the social sphere and just feeling like I've done anything worth doing by actually spending vast amount of hours doing it and doing going through all the terrible nuances of setting up every last library for something to run so that it runs and actually does something. You might want to check out this Docker thing. <laughs> oh, God damn it, John. Uh, but no, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. In fact, part of my job, right, is to is to be online and read stuff and aggregate for people and be a curator. And it, it is a it is a terrible, terrible burden that I carry for all the rest of you. Because um, thank, thank you, John. It's like staring into the matrix. Sometimes it's pretty. It's pretty. Um, it's 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 challenging, and I think it does. It does. I'm I'm also with Callan that it does. It does train you for kind of the wrong things. Uh, I, I do have some books I need to finish as well. And I, I think, but the interesting thing to me is how close the difference is between not doing it and doing it. And if you just can yeah. can can move across that gap, uh, it becomes so much easier and your muscle memory kicks, kicks in and, um, you know, you... Uh, you know, you, you start to focus and, and it, it's never, you know, if you're procrastinating, once you start, it's never as hard as, you know, if you were procrastinating, if that's the way you frame it. I also kind of wonder if, is this a generational thing, right? Um, you know, people of my generation, when we got, you know, box DVDs and VCRs, we, we all went out and bought, you know, every season of Friends or something and, and watched them all. And now uh, with Netflix, I never did, but, you know, but with Netflix, um, uh, you have the same thing. Where, where people binge watch, right? And so I wonder if, if the next generation growing up, having grown up with every TV and movie uh, program, you know, at their fingertips at all times, you know, learn, learn a little more uh, governance. It's mm. an interesting one. Well, a- Amy, you wanted to bring us home with some practical tips and tricks for our listeners that have heard us pontificate about the pros and cons of social media throughout today. What would you want people to leave thinking about? Well, a couple things. So first, Cal, if you're out there, if you have any chance of ever listening to this, you're always welcome onto the Geek Whispers. We would love to make that happen. And I feel like you're a horse, um, but with a Snapchat filter, I can make you a unicorn. So (laughs) problem solved. (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, I think it leads to our favorite closing question of what would, what would you never do again? Right. And 
And I can honestly say for myself, uh, you know, yes, I have had times of extreme social media addiction and I, I really encourage people to forcibly put long form copy creation and consumption as part of your, your week somewhere in there so that you flex that other set of muscles. And it's a mistake I made. Um, and it's something I had to put back in balance because it, it really can make you, it's like eating too much candy. I mean, it just, it's great at the time, but it does not end well. So I would encourage everybody to put it on your calendar and give yourself the gift of long form copy, either creation wise or consumption, or if you're lucky, both. Ooh, that's good. Um, mine is related. Um, my, my wife is, is reading this book about cognition and, and neuroscience. And I, I don't know how much science and how much voodoo is in it, but, um, the, the guy points out that we, our brains, you know, one, that we don't really multitask and two, that our brains process language differently than non-language. So he recommends, for instance, if you do want, you know, your, your subconscious brain to be working on a problem, you should take a break in a, in a context without language. Like like playing mm. like and that might be playing a game or something, uh, even a computer game. But you're not listening to TV and processing language, and you're not reading a book, and you're not uh, listening to a podcast. Which is uh, you know the entirety of my day is spent either reading or listening to podcasts. So I've tried to program in some some breaks, some boredom breaks, some breaks when I am not assaulting my eyes or ears with language. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know if it works or not, but you know, so far so good, but I really do feel a little more rested if, if I do take some time when I'm not being assaulted by language. That's a really brilliant point, John. I didn't even think about, uh, those times. Um, but it's so important to kind of switch it up on yourself. Um, my takeaway here is one, maybe I'm just seeing what I want to out of the article, which is the, how do you achieve like doing something that's great? And we never get a definition of great or anything. And that's kind of fun because we can define it ourselves. So if somebody like me is motivated to do something great for other people, um, just taking the time in the week to focus in on that and really turn off all the other noise, I finally started keeping like a paper journal of this idea that I'm trying to map out and spending a little less than an hour, you know, a week writing in that and trying to scan something out and have some Evernote a folder for researching it after when I'm back online. But just the idea of staying focused week over week through some sort of routine or task or or thing that is non-technical. Um, so give yourself the space or the outlets or the the social or real physical paper to write down ideas that you want to pursue and that get you excited and maybe you'll want to do more with it. I really love that because it ties into um, we have a listener uh, who tweeted at us um, and Maggie had uh, taken five pages of handwritten notes inspired by by a podcast. So naturally, that leads me to try to pursue her to be on some other some other time. But I think it's a good <laughs> a good tie in to what you just said, Matt. I, there's something to be said for putting pen to paper and, and making um, a plan. Because I, I, yeah, another another uh, friend of the podcast family family um, Jill had uh, had just said anybody tweeted out you know anybody who hasn't set life goals um, you're missing out and saying that was kind of a new thing for her and sort of really structured 
life and career goals. And, and that just seems like a good fit with what you're talking about, Matt, of uh, write it down and then make it real. Definitely. Definitely. Well, a, a lot of good thoughts, um, positive and negative. Again, Cal, uh, nothing personal, man. I, I know you're an active listener to our podcast, so uh, we look forward to your response. Um, but for everyone else out there that's thinking about their use of social media, um, I hope this is good food for thought and that you you do consider whether it's a healthy use of your time or an addiction that's about as valuable as uh, as popcorn is nutritious. So think about it. Um, in the meantime, we'll be snapping each other. So uh, follow us there or hang out on Twitter where we will continue to to tweet about goofy and useful things in an alternating state. Until then, Uh, Until we see you there, thanks very much. And this is another episode of The Geek Whisperers. You've been listening to The Geek Whisperers podcast. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whisperers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whisperers or at jtroyer, mjbrender, and comsninja. Thanks for listening and see you next time.